Well, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to get your Bibles out and go there. We've been in a series on generosity, and and my hope in, in doing this series had really been to reframe uh, as much as one can do in, in four weeks, reframe the way we relate to, to money and the way real, we relate to, to God and money. Because the Bible has a lot to say about money. And, and specifically, it has a lot to say about money because money is such a uh, persuasive thing. I mean, it really, it has the power that a lot of things don't have to, to draw us in, and it needs to have its proper place in our life. And, and the challenge is the world has a, an idea of what the proper place of money in your life looks like, but the world's idea of, of what that, that is, is is very different from what the Lord shows us in the Word. Three weeks ago, we talked about how God is, He Himself is rich and generous, and I'm so thankful for Pastor JC talking about how God is generous, and we, we need to be generous in response. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how we can be regenerous only when we recognize that God is our Lord whom we serve, and that money is the tool that we use. Sometimes we get it swift, we get it uh, uh, confused, and we, we treat God like the tool that we use, and, and money is the one that we serve. And then last week, I, I wanted to, to paint a picture that we saw in Acts of, of the gospel community being a generous community. That generosity is not, it's not an add-on. It's not like a nice thing that it'd be great if we had, but it's no. If we're a gospel community, then by definition, we are called to be a generous community. And this week, we're going to see that God calls each of us to be cheerful givers. Amen. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to, to ask you, when you were a kid, did you ever think that money was magic? This is something that I realize my kids aren't probably going to even be aware of. But when, when I was a kid and when you were kids, we had a thing called cash, right? And, and there, were, there were these jangly things called coins. And I remember just being so enamored with this, going to the grocery store with my family. And maybe you had a similar experience where you'd see your, your parents giving money to the cashier, right? Maybe a $20 bill or something. But it was like one, one bill, or maybe it's two bills, and then they, you know, they press some buttons, they king, and the, the cash register pops out, and they start pulling out more money and coins. And you're thinking to yourself, my parents have, they're so smart. They're giving the money, we're getting food, and we're, we're, getting, we're making money on this transaction, on this transaction. Like, I don't know what's happening, but my parents are smart. And, and we, we think that money is magic. Um, now, now, we all know better, but we understand that, that when we were children, we were, we were kind of naive. Maybe we didn't understand how money worked. Uh, but over the last few weeks, as we've been talking about the Bible, um, my fear is that when we think about what the Bible says about money, we, we think something similar, that perhaps the Bible's a little naive, you know, generosity as a way of life, I mean, that's, that's a little naive. Sure, I'll give when I have extra to give, maybe. You know, I've got some savings accounts, I've got bills, I've got kids, you know, I have a daughter, she's going to get married, I've, I have all three of my kids, they need to go through college. You know, you have all these other things that you want to 
save for or prepare for, or you have that other, you know, I'm saving it for this thing for myself. Maybe, you know, it's naive to think that my whole life has to be oriented around generosity. You know, maybe God doesn't understand how money works. Maybe God doesn't understand how my, my bank account works. But I want to encourage you today, family, that God's economy is not like our economy. And with God's economy, money works differently. Amen? So let's stand together as we prepare to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and following. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of money that allows us to provide for our families, to provide for the needs that we have in our life. And God, we thank you for the privilege of being generous, the opportunity to give, and in so giving, to bring glory to your name. God, I pray that we would see from this text that the way that we relate to the money that we have and specifically how we are generous, has a direct correlation to the thanksgiving and praise that happens in the world. And God, would you enable us to be conduits of praise? And God, I pray that you would free us from the fear of lack, Lord, and from the, the, the attitude that is suspicious of, of other people calling us to be generous. Lord, help us to trust you and your word as we, as we think about the money that you've steward, you'd allow us to steward. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you're new, <laughs> welcome to church. We're talking about money. 
I recognize that this is a, this is a fun topic that, that everyone wants me to talk about, to meddle in your life and to tell you where to put your money. Uh, but the reality is this is, it's not something that Jesus was shy about talking about. And, and if the word of God has something to say about it, we need to be willing to listen. Amen? And I'm not saying you need to listen to me and my opinions. You know, do I get a 401k or should I get a Roth IRA? That's not what we're doing today. But when God talks about money, he's very specific because money touches our hearts in ways that, like I said, other things don't. Paul's trying to get at something here, and, and the main point he's trying to give us is that we ought to give generously and cheerfully, but he doesn't just give us a command, right? He doesn't just say, do this. He, he says that we should give generously and cheerfully because we can know that God will both provide for us and he gets the praise. Now, as I was working through this text, I was just wrestling with the, the, the idea of, of, of persuading my congregation Guys, we got to be generous. we got to be generous. And, and, and you're all amazing, handsome, beautiful, smart people, and so I know that you want to be generous, but there's, there's also this thing inside of you that says, says who? You know, why? But then you get to the end of the text, and, and you see that this is not just an invitation to give money because that's what we want to do as though we're just some sort of charity organization. No, this is a call to invite others into praising God. We want to give generously and cheerfully knowing that God will provide for us and that he's inviting us into the, the, the process of being conduits of God's praise. So there are four things that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the principle of generosity. We're going to look at the perspective of the generous. We're going to look at God's promise for generosity. And finally, the product of that generosity. The principle, the perspective, the promise, and the, the product. First, let's consider the principle. He starts off and he says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows uh, bountifully will also reap bountifully. If we just kind of ripped that out, uh, and I just started talking to you about that without context, you might be a little suspicious. And, and I would venture to say that that's appropriate because... We live in a world where texts like this have been ripped out of context and have been used by people who have not honored God in a way to try and get money for themselves. Can we be honest about that? There's this kind of health, wealth gospel that, that says that if I give God money or I give specifically to this organization, then, then God's going to bless me in a, you know, an equal amount, all equally uh, monetary. And it's, it's going to be like God is, is he's, a, he's a vending machine. I put a dollar in, I get a hundred out. And so if you're, if you're coming here with that sense of skepticism, can I just say I can understand that? If you're coming here and you're saying, I, I don't know about all of this, this mumbo jumbo. God is not, just, he's not a, just a vending machine and I don't want to approach him that way. I'm with you. But it's in there right here. The text is there and it says this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So we need to ask ourselves, what is he saying here? What does he mean here? And if you back up to the beginning of chapter 9, you see that Paul is writing to this Corinthian church, they're, they're fairly well off, and he's letting them know that he's coming to collect an offering that they had already kind of, they had committed to giving. 
This wasn't just an offering. This wasn't for, a, you know, Paul's, you know, his mules and his, his carriage and, and some sort of neat new ride that he had. No, this was for the, the church in, in Jerusalem that, that was needing money because they were poor and, and there, was, there was a need there. And so he says in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Now it is superfluous for me to write about you, uh, write to you about the ministry for the saints, which is tongue-in-cheek, right? If it's superfluous, then why is he doing it? But he's doing it. For I know your readiness, of which I, I, boast about, uh, I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, Achaia has been ready since last year. Now, Macedonia, that's the place of the Philippians, and they were poor. And, and if you read the book of Philippians, you find out that they gave out of their poverty. And so, it, it is kind of funny what he's doing here. He's saying, guys, I just want to let you know, the, the, the Macedonians, the Philippians, which we all know are kind of poor, I've been bragging about how much you're giving. And, and, and he's, he's letting them know. He says, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. I, I'm going to send some guys ahead of time. We're going to take some offerings up. We're going we're to put it aside in account so that when I show up, you guys aren't going to be surprised and you're not going to be embarrassed and I'm not going to be embarrassed. That's not going to happen. It's, this is all superfluous, right? Because you've agreed to do this. And he says, verse 4, Otherwise, if some Macedonians come to me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. Then he says, to say nothing of you. Right? We'd be humiliated. And I don't even think about how humiliated you'd be. Right? He's, it's pretty funny. Uh, he is an effective uh, ministry support writer. And so he goes on. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not an exaction. So the, the context that he's writing from is that he's raising money for needs within the church, real needs, right? Loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to a group of people who are affluent. They have extra money. And he's letting them know that there are others that he's spoken to that that. The behavior of the Corinthians will either bring um, shame or it will bring joy and it'll be a testimony to these others. Like that, that's what's in the balance. And that it's in that situation that he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He tells us that, that when, we, when we give a little, we get a little, but when we give a lot, we get a lot. Now, this goes against conventional wisdom. This goes against everything that your five-year-old self knows. You know, again, how many of you, I just remember being a kid, and I had pennies, and a lot of them, and I wanted wheat pennies, because wheat pennies were valuable. They're not valuable, but I was a, I was a, you know, and not dumb kid, but ill-informed child, and I had my treasure. And, and if you just walked up and told me, you know what, if you want to have more money, give some of your money away. I would say, clearly you haven't been through math to learn about adding and subtracting. Because I know that when you subtract, you have less. You know, when I subtract, I don't get more. I get A's on my math tests. Conventional wisdom says, the more I save, the more I have. Conventional wisdom says save up for yourself and maybe give a little way if you have extra. Maybe. But God's wisdom says the more that you give, the more that you have in the end. 
Now, conventional wisdom can't account for that. It just can't. When you talk to your, your coworkers and you, you explain to them, you know, some of you, you've walked out generosity. You've been radically generous. And you've told people about it, and they just look at you like you have three heads. Wait, you gave away money, and then you got a tax rebate that you didn't sign up? Like, you didn't... I, I've... This is, this is not a testimony of my generosity as much as God's graciousness. There have been seasons of life where my wife and I have given more than we have, we have needed, and we get these random checks in the mail for, you know, hey, congratulations, you win this thing. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for it. I'm not sure what this is about. But the, the check, it cleared, so. <laughs> the application is not... Not that if you give, then you're going to get weird checks in the mail. That is not the application. Just saying as a side note, that confuses people and appropriately so because the world does not account for God. The world cannot account for God. You know, in, in 1 Kings, there's this story of this widow. 1 Kings chapter 17. You can go there. You don't have to. Just write it down if you want to. Elijah, or Elijah, rather, is, is um, there's a drought, and, and Elijah is, is going to this widow. It says in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to, there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate to the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring him, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread. In your hand, and she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm going to gather a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself, my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now we read that and we're like, that's a neat story. But family, that happened. Right? That's not just a fairy tale. Sometimes we read the Old Testament we're like, I know that's true, but not really. Right? I know the, the Egyptians, you know, the, the, the Israelites crossed the, over through the Red Sea and then the Egyptians, they, they followed and died. And Not really. You know, I know there was the, 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 the Tower of Fire and the Tower of, uh, you know, but not really. No, this really happened. God gives it to us. In fact, in the New Testament, it's said of the Old Testament that God gives us the Old Testament so that we have examples. And we see in this example this kind of radical, radical generosity that this woman has. I mean, she's, she's literally going to prepare a last meal. You know, we're just going to eat some bread and, and we're going to die. And I don't know what kind of mental place that she was in. I don't know what level of faith that she had, but it encourages me because she was, at, she was at the end. And the amount of faith that she had was very minimal, right? If she was about to die, she was like, fine, you know, what's, what's two bites of bread versus one bite of bread? I'll get you a little bit. You can have some first telling Elijah that she'd prepared for him. She, she just has this modicum of, of obedience, and God takes it, and he multiplies it, and he blesses her. That doesn't make sense. 
That doesn't make sense in our world, and it's not intended to make sense because it's intended to bring glory to God. It's not intended to be explainable because it's intended to show that God is great and greater than our money. We were called to this principle of generosity, giving generously, knowing that we'll reap generously. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, guys, this is what I'm calling you to do. You need to do it, period. No, he gives this perspective that he wants them to have. Verse 7, each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but uh, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You know, at the first part of that, that chapter, it, it kind of sounds like he's, can, can I be honest? It sounds like he's manipulating them a little bit. Like, guys, you don't want to mess up. But then he comes here and he says, hey, but God, God wants you to be a generous and cheerful giver. See, at the end of the day, he doesn't want them to do this out of compulsion. He doesn't want to treat God as, as a, a vending machine that they're reluctantly giving money to. He doesn't. He wants them to engage their faith. He wants them to engage their emotional, he, because this is more than transactional. You see, part of the problem with money is it, it reduces us to transaction. Right? When you treat people as a means to money, you treat them as, as objects to be interacted to with for the sake of a transaction. When you treat your job as something that just allows you to get money, then it, all the relational pieces fall away, and it's just, okay, I'm going to put in X and get out Y, and it, and it becomes this mechanical thing. And he doesn't want that. No, he says, we want you to be a cheerful giver. What does that look like? That means that I'm thankful for giving this money away. Because I have a relationship with the person who's given me the money, and I know that as I give this to someone else, that God's going to meet me, and there's going to be this relational connection. That this isn't just a transactional thing. It's not just black and white. There's a thing that God's inviting me into. There's a relationship that God's inviting me into. There's an experience of his presence and his power and his love that he's inviting me into. He's inviting me into a different perspective Jesus understood what it meant to sacrifice for the sake of joy in joining in God's mission. Right? If God is calling us to, to join in his mission of, of generously blessing others, Jesus was, he was at the forefront. He was at the vanguard. It says in chapter 12 of Hebrews, after chapter 11 where you see this hall of faith, all these, these believers who lived by faith, and in chapter 12 he says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? Since we have all of these believers who have given us such an example of faithfulness, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings closely and us run the race that's set before us. And what are we supposed to do? Look to Jesus. And how did Jesus operate? He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, Jesus could have treated this like a transaction. He could have said, you know what? There's a debt to be paid. I've got to do this thing. This is terrible, and I'm just going to do it. And, and, and God did address the transactional reality of our guilt and our sin needing to be washed away. But there was a relational component as well of God needing us to be reconciled to him. 
And, and it was in all of this that, that Jesus looks and he considers the possibility of, of his people being reconciled, God being glorified, the Father being reunited to these adopted children, and it brings him joy. And for that joy, he, he sets that before himself and he despises the cross and he despises the shame and he says, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Jesus understood what it looked to give, he, he understood what it looked like to give as a cheerful giver. When we begin to see that our generosity has an impact on the lives of others, we can be cheerful about whatever we give up, whether money or resources or time or life. And when we give, we have the privilege of pleasing our Heavenly Father. Right? It says that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, God loves his people. But, but Paul is highlighting something about someone who gives it's something, there's something that stirs God's heart about that person. It, he, he, it, it excites him. It makes him happy. Parents, you, you know this. If you've ever gotten a gift from one of your toddlers, right? You know, they, maybe they get the, the big Legos together or, you know, more likely, it, it's this thing where you, they're eating um, goldfish and they're like, want one? And it's half-eaten and it's, it's slobbery. But there's something in your heart that stirs. There's something in your stomach that stirs as well. But, but in your heart... You feel loved, and, it, and it, it may not earn their love. They, they're not earning your love, but they're eliciting that love that already is there. When we give, we have the privilege of participating in something that brings joy to our Father. Why would we want to miss out on that? Why? See, this is why, this is why the perspective that the world gives us is so backwards, and, and why it feels almost like a fish out of water when we think about the way the, the Bible talks about money because we think so much about money in terms of, okay, I need to have enough, to use enough, to save enough, to, to meet my needs. But God's saying, you can experience joy and happiness and, and, and my pleasure and you can be a conduit of blessing to other people by giving the money away. That's not, that's not the way that we tend to relate to money. So Paul continues with this perspective, and he goes on from the perspective to this promise. And, and I, want you to, I want you to hear me. The promise takes up the majority of this text. Right? He, he gives the command, you know, give because you, know, you, you, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. He gives that principle, but, but the majority of the text is of this promise that he gives. And he says in 2 Corinthians, he says in, in, starts in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all, sufficiently, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I don't know if you were counting, but he uses the word all four times in English, and then he says every. And in the Greek, it's all five times. We're going to listen to that again. And God is able, here's the promise, God is able to make all grace Bound to you. Wouldn't that be nice if you had all the grace that you needed? Well, God's able to make that happen. God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficient, do you need to be all, you need to have everything that you need, right? That's all sufficiency. Do I have everything that I need? Yes, right? You know that feeling when you leave the house and you left your wallet at home? Like, that's not what God intends for you. He intends for you to have a sense of all sufficiency. 
for you to have everything that you need. Maybe not to do exactly what you want to do. This may not be all sufficiency for you to buy that boat that you want, but it's all sufficiency for you to provide for all the things that God has put in your life to provide for. He's going to give you all grace, all sufficiency, in all things, at all times. Is there anything that you won't have all sufficiency for? No. Is there any time that you won't have something that you need? No. That you, there, there we go. That you may abound in what? Every good work. Now that's the key. God, God is not interested in building your kingdom. These are not your works that you get to decide. You know, I'm, I really want to, you know, I like to kayak. But I don't know that God has just, he's not going to underwrite necessarily. He might. He, you know, God's a good, gracious, and generous God, so he might but, but I, this text is not guaranteeing, you know, Eddie, if you're generous, then he's going to give you that kayak. But he's saying, Eddie, if you will give generously, cheerfully, then I'm certainly going to provide them for the things that you need. And if you don't have money for it, then you don't need it. He says that he's going to give us all that we need for every good work. Here's the point. When we give generously... God will give us what we need, when we need it, so we can continue to do every kind of good that he's given us to do. If God, I'm sorry, if we're generous, then God will come alongside us and help us to continue to be generous. He goes on and he says, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now this is interesting. In, in the next few verses, he connects, he kind of throws righteousness in, right? We're talking about generosity, we're talking about giving, but then he says he'll, his righteousness endures forever, and then he's going to talk about this harvest of righteousness, and the question is, what is he talking about? And what he's talking about is that our generosity, it's not just, again, what I said before, it's not just this add-on. It's not the cherry on top. No, our generosity is a species of righteousness, Right? There are kinds of righteousness that we get. You know, being kind, not cussing, you know, not crossing the street when there isn't a crosswalk. Right? These are, this is righteousness. You know, loving your spouse, not stealing at work. This is righteousness. But, but in the economy of God, that's not enough. He says, no, I want you to be generous, and generosity is an expression of God's righteousness. And what that means is that if we were to live right before God, we have to live generously. If you're not living generously, you're not fulfilling the righteousness that God has called you into. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not, you know, it's not salvific, you don't give in order to be saved, but, but there's something about God reflecting his character. Right? If, if righteousness is, is God's character being formed in us, right, this process of sanctification, if, if righteousness is God forming his character in us, and God is generous, then generosity has to be something that begins to flow out of us. He, so he talks about this harvest of righteousness. He says, you know what? He who supplies, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower, talking about God, and bread for food, God who provides, he's going to multiply your seed for sowing righteous, or sorry, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And when I first read that, I was like, what is the harvest of righteousness? And that's just, that's the generosity. He's going to increase to you everything that you need to, 
to harvest more generosity, to be righteous in greater degrees of generosity. And he explains it further in verse 11. He says, you will be enriched, right? That sounds a lot like being given seed and, and increasing in a harvest. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You're enriched in order to be generous. This is why this text can't be used for you to go and, and you know, let's, let's give some money to Grace Covenant Church so that I can get that Bentley, right? God's going to bless me. I'm going to give to this, this ministry and, and God's going to bless me. No, the, the point is not that God blesses us. The point is that God now sees that we are willing to be conduits of generosity. He's not interested in cups. He's, he's interested in, in, what are they called? Filters, not filters. Funnels, there we go. Thank you, sir. Gentleman and a scholar. All right. He, he's interested in us being Funnels. When, we, when he pours into our lives, we pour into the lives of others. And when, we see, when he sees that we're bigger and bigger funnels, he's willing to pour even more into our lives. That's God's promise to us. And the coolest thing about this whole thing is that it produces praise. Verse 11, as we, as we wrap this up, it says this, you will be enriched in every way, right? You will be given what you need and more, but not just so you can have it, uh, to be generous in every way. And then he says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So he goes on and he explains, as I let the, the Macedonians know about this and as I go back to Jerusalem, people are gonna be praising God and thanking God for your generosity. When you give, when I give, <laughs> how many of you have, have given and it's been this, kind of, you don't have to raise your hand, don't. But you give the dollar, but it's kind of like you're holding the dollar and you're like, you take it, take it. And they take it and leave, and you're like, that was terrible. And not, not that was terrible because you're feeling terrible, but terrible because, like, where's the payoff? I don't feel any better. I just feel $1 less. Paul, Paul is saying, hey, when you give, you can know. When you, when you give and, you, and you're doing so from, from a Christian perspective, you're not just kind of throwing money into the wind, but, but people know that this is a testimony of God's graciousness to me. I'm giving and I'm generous because God has been generous to me. When we do that, we're inviting people to worship God. And, and there are two things in that scenario, and one thing will last into eternity and the other will not. I'm thankful to be an American. I like American dollar bills. They're not going to last forever. People praising God, forever. Forever. The, the money that you give, the, the resources that you give, even, even family, let's take this and apply it even further. The life that you sacrifice, parents, moms, the sleepless nights, the energy, the exercise, the, the stress, the, all of these things that you sacrifice generously for the sake of your children, for the sake of the people in your, your community, for the sake of your small group, they will resound in praise Think of an investment that goes on forever, right? <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know much about. Anyways, investments now, great, wonderful. I know I've heard D Dave Ramsey talk about 12% returns, which is crazy. No one's getting 12%. But imagine infinite returns for in infinity, 
for eternity. That's what God's inviting us into. We think that, oh, being generous is a nice thing that I should do here and there, and, and that'll be fine, and okay, I guess I'll do that. But no, he's saying, would you, would you step into something that's going to have ripple effects into eternity? When, we, when we're able to give, say you give to the church or you give to a ministry, and that ministry is able to reach people for Christ, or, or you know, during COVID, we, we met with so many people with Mobile Hope. Mobile Hope is a, it's an organization that's, that we're partnered with that provides for people in the community. And there are, I am convinced there are people who will be in eternity as a result of the generosity of someone just saying, you know what, I'm going to give some diapers. It was giving diapers that now allows someone else to worship God for eternity. That's, that's what generosity can do. And that's why he ends in verse 15 and he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. To close it all up, why does Paul even write this whole section? Why does he write it? He's reminding the Corinthians, as I said, about their commitment to give. He understands that they face a temptation, a similar temptation that you and I face. Will I serve God or will I serve money? And so he gets the principle, the perspective, the, the promise. He puts those things in front of them. And maybe, maybe you're struggling today. You know, Pastor Eddie, that's all well and good, but uh, you have not seen my bottom line. In fact, my bottom line is red. It is not black. You, you don't know where I'm coming from, and I don't. Um, Paul thanks God for the gifts that God gives. He's the giver, and he promises to give and provide. And, and ultimately, whatever circumstance you find yourself in now, it is temporary compared to the, the eternal promises and the eternal realities that God's inviting us into. I want you to listen to these words from this, this hymn, Be, Be Thou my, vineyard, my Vision, specifically the third verse. But it says this, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Not be all else to me, save that, 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 that thou art. Thou, my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, your presence my light. Verse 2, be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Verse 3, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Paul wanted to encourage them to set their eyes on Jesus. Thou my treasure, you my treasure God. Because when, when we set our eyes on God and we, we allow him to make us conduits of his generosity, we are invited into his mission to make other people praise God for his generosity. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, you would encourage those who might be challenged or discouraged by this. And God, I thank you that your word is true and that we can trust it, that you will provide for our needs. And so I pray that for those who are wrestling with their needs, Lord, that you would, you would give them confidence in your word that you will meet those needs. 
And Lord, for the things that you've placed in our hearts to be generous about, Lord, I pray that, I pray that we would act today. If it's, if it's a monetary thing, that we would give quickly and obediently. If it's, if it's something that we need to give time to or energy to, Lord, that, that we'd give those things. But ultimately, Lord, would you make us generous people so that we might invite other people into praising your name? And I pray that as we do so, we would experience the joy of our Father. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your own Savior, you know, Paul was talking to people who, who had trusted Jesus as, as their Savior and Lord, the one who took away their sins and reconciled them to the Father. But if, if you need to be reconciled, you recognize, man, I am a sinner and I, I need to be saved. I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven. If that's you, the word says that Jesus died on the cross bearing our sins in our place and he offers eternal life to anyone who would put their trust in him. If that's you and you want to put your trust in him today, would you raise your hand? There's nothing magical about raising your hand, but it's an expression of what God's doing in your heart. Well, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us generous people and I thank you for your own generosity to us. Bless this people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.